Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Today's reading comes from Colossians 3, 5-11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with the practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Darden Kaler. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, That was my daughter, Hope, and um, I reminded her this morning after asking her in a quick passing moment yesterday uh, whether she would read my passage, and she was like, yeah, fine, whatever, and then this morning she was like, oh, shoot. (laughs) So so I chuckled as I walked by because she was like, "Uh." (laughs) She did a great job, but, but, you know, sometimes uh, I I, I probably shouldn't ask them all that often because Maybe it feels like they're being pressured or whatever. But uh, anyway, we're talking through Colossians. Today we're covering the passage that my daughter just read, uh, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. And uh, to start, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, What I wanted to do, or what I was thinking about doing, was I was going to just describe to you some of the clothing that I have owned and worn throughout my life, particularly as a child and up through my teenage years. But then it occurred to me that sometimes... Uh, pictures speak better than, than words. And so I thought I would show you just uh, a couple of pictures. Uh, I've got nine pictures of me at different ages. Uh, that is me at two. Um, I don't know what was going on with the long hair. My parents were not hippies, but, uh, but for some reason they thought it was cool. And it was, it was red. It doesn't show quite as much in that picture. But uh, anyway, that was me at two. That was what, uh, I don't think I wore that on a regular basis. But... <laughs> But it, but it was a picture, it was a picture uh, thing. The next picture is me at three. So the hair is shorter. Um, you know, you see the Buster Browns, uh, uh, red, white, and blue uh, uh, collared shirt. That, that uh, I think those are Kmart pictures. I think I took those, uh, those were taken at Kmart way back when, when you could go and get pictures taken at such places. The next picture then is me in kindergarten. Again, um, that is a, I think that's a Buster Brown's uh, uh, shirt that I'm wearing. And it came with, believe it or not, a matching yellow pair of jeans and a yellow denim jacket. Uh, There was a lot of yellow in that outfit. And there was a mix and match. I had a brown one too that was exactly like it. And you could mix and match tops and bottoms and it all went together very, very well. Uh, So that was me, that's me at about five. That's kindergarten. Uh, this is me at, at, uh, in fourth grade. Uh, I w- that was my disco phase. Um, the, end of, the end of disco, but that was a satin shirt, but believe it or not, so it, w- it kind of hung nicely and sort of, you know, anyway, it was cool. All right, next picture. Uh, next picture is me at fifth grade. So, uh, again, things are different. 
Um, that is a, a terry cloth shirt, believe it or not. Those were in style at one time. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, when, you, when you look like a towel, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's an odd thing. But maybe you all like terry cloth, and that's great. I'm not knocking it. Uh, just for me, it's probably not the right thing. Okay, so... This is me at 14. This is my, my preppy. This is me going into high school. Um, I skipped junior high because I went through a phase where I dressed a lot like um, a cross between Duran Duran and Flock of Seagulls. There was a lot of hair on my head, and it, and it went, you know, in different weird ways, and I, I couldn't find any good pictures of it. So I, I skipped to 14. Uh, I thought preppy was the cool thing, so I had this nice white uh, knit tie. Remember those knit ties that you used to be able to get in the 80s and 90s, or 70s and 80s, I guess, 80s? Uh, denim jacket, always wore denim, even, even to this day, I suppose, on some level. Uh, next picture. This is me right after my high school graduation with my dad. Uh, teal green, teal green blue shirt with teal green matching socks. Uh, my parents were so embarrassed because when I wore my my uh, graduation robe across the stage, the only thing you could see, and the thing that was like the most apparent was the, sh the pants were a little bit short on purpose, and so all you could see were these terry green, these, these teal green socks just walking across the stage, and my parents were like tremendously embarrassed, and that was my, my phase where bow ties and suspenders were really, really cool. My sons have also gone through such phases, and um, I think they regret it now, but I'm not certain. Anyway, next, next picture. Yes, that is me with a mullet. Um, there are a number of better pictures, of, uh, but I could not locate those at the time. But this is kind of my, uh, I, I was uh, getting, I was my freshman year of college and I was playing drums and doing a lot of music stuff. And so I, I was trying to grow the beard out and grow the, uh, my mom did not like the hair or the beard. Um, and the last picture, a year later, this was me right before Belinda and I got engaged um, uh, with the very first suit that I ever owned, a la Chess King. Anybody remember Chess King? Anybody old? Thanks, George. <laughs> I was just going to say, anybody old enough to remember Chess? George remembers it. Did you, buy, did you buy any clothes at Chess King? No? No, probably not. I, I, okay, well. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> it's very rare that, it's rare that I'm speechless, but I don't really know what to say to that. So I bought that at Chess King. You know, it was the uh, it was the sort of uh, I thought it was cool and hip at the time. Um, you know, double-breasted jacket, pleated pants with a little cuff at the bottom, a half-inch cuff at the bottom. I had nice leather boots that matched, and and you know, it was it was all it was all cool. At least at the time, it seemed like it was cool. Now, I want to separate these pictures into two groups, right? You can you can please take the picture of me off. <laughs> I want to separate these pictures into two groups. Um, the first group, the first group that was taken between the ages of two and ten, right? All those pictures were taken in clothing that my mother picked out for me. All those pictures were taken with hairstyles that my mother gave me, right? She combed my hair before all the pictures. She, you know, uh, uh, made sure everything was in the right place and, and so on. Maybe none of your parents ever did that, and you probably like really grossed out by the fact that I just did that. But, but, but those, that's the first set. The second set of pictures were uh, 14 to 20, right? And those were all pictures taken in clothes, clothing that I picked out for myself. I used to express who I thought I was becoming. Uh, and, and with hairstyles that expressed who I thought I was becoming. 
all said something about me. The first said something more about my parents, I guess. The last set said something more about me. Now, it probably won't surprise you that that suit is, would have been you know, 30-ish years old if I still had it today, but I don't have it anymore. In fact, I don't have any of those clothes. And the number one reason why I don't have any of those clothes is this. I'm not... I've, I've grown some. <laughs> I've filled out some. I'm not as thin as I once was. The, the oldest piece of clothing that I have is a, is a t-shirt I got from a Buddy Rich concert. I saw Buddy Rich play drums when I was 12 years old. Does anybody know who Buddy Rich is? Thank you. Uh, I knew George would. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so, none of you know. Look, go look up Buddy Rich when you go home today. Please, it's, it, it's important. Um, Buddy Rich was a fabulous jazz drummer throughout the, throughout the 20th century. Really, really great. And, and I, I actually got to see him play. He was a legend at what he could do. I got to see him play when I was 12, and I, my sister got me a t-shirt. That's the, old, that's the oldest piece of clothing I own. Otherwise, everything's like 10, maybe 12 years old at most, because I don't fit any of that other stuff anymore. It doesn't fit me, and not just physically. Yes, I'm a little girthier than I used to be, but the bigger issue is that those, those Clothes really just don't fit my personality, who I've become, who I've matured into, who God has made me to be. In essence, that's what, that's what Paul is saying in today's passage, right? He's talking about things from the past, things that we did in the past, things not fitting who we are today. The previous lifestyle doesn't fit the Colossians the way it fit them once before, the way they thought it fit once before. Their old ways of living no longer describe or demonstrate who they are. As Paul says earlier in Colossians, Christ's death and resurrection, it changes us. It makes us into different people. When a Christian first believes in Christ, a spiritual death takes place. We die to who we were. We go to the cross, we're buried with Christ, and we're risen to a new life with him. Entirely different. Same people, yes. You look the same on the outside, but something has changed in here. Christ has done something different in us. And Paul likens that to changing clothes. Verses 8 and 9, put off the old self. Take off the old self. Get rid of the old self with its practices and all the things that you used to do. And put on what is new, what Christ has given you, the clothing that he has laid out for you. Because that is a better description of who you are and who you become. Keep in mind that Paul is not suggesting that the Colossians are entirely finished. It's not like he's saying, okay, now that, now that you've died to your old self and you're a new creation in Christ, you're sinless. You'll never sin again. We all know that's not true. We live in that, in that, in that struggle of, of, of fighting against the old self. We're still works in progress, as the Colossians were. Being dead to sin doesn't mean we never sin again. It just simply means that the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, sanctifying our lives, sanctifying who we are, and making us more and more and more and more each and every day like our Creator, like Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, put to death, put away, put off, what's earthly in you. Those earthly desires, those earthly practices, put those things off and focus on Christ because we've died and risen with Christ. Our old ways of life, our old ways of living no longer fit who we are. We're different now. 
They simply don't work for us. They don't fit the way we're supposed to live. They don't fit who we really are on the inside. It's like trying to take, a, it's like trying to take old RAM and put it into a new computer. Anybody ever try that? One of my children tried it one time. I'm not going to say which one because I didn't ask for their permission. Uh, but <laughs> one of my children tried it once, and, and guess what? It, it fits physically. You could squeeze it in there, but it doesn't work very well. It actually does damage. It actually messes up the computer, and then you've got you've to get it fixed. You've got to change it. You've got you've to take it back to the, to the manufacturer and, and get it renewed because it breaks it. Causes damage in the long run because it doesn't really fit. Paul makes this similar point in many other places throughout Scripture. Throughout all of his writings, he talks about this concept time and time again. Romans 2, he tells them to cast off their works of darkness. Uh, to the Corinthians, he tells them to cleanse themselves of every defilement. He's talking about living up to the change or living out the change that Christ has made in them. But his message here to the Colossians is really the most emphatic. It's really the most emphatic. He's not simply suggesting that they cut back on their sin. He's not suggesting that they maybe try to, to, to do a little better each day. He's saying kill it. Put it to death. Get rid of it. Toss it aside. It's reminiscent of Jesus saying, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, do what? Gouge it out. Those are extreme things, but Paul's, Paul's point here is no less extreme. There's a sense of urgency, a sense of decisiveness in what Paul is saying. Do it now! Get her done! It's, it's, it's a Yoda moment, maybe. Although Paul came before Yoda. But it's a Yoda moment, you know. Uh, what, what, what did Yoda say? Um, I got it in here somewhere. Do or do not. Do or do not. There is no try. Paul is, saying, Paul is saying, don't try. Live your life as the new creation that Christ has made you into. Everything sinful, everything selfish should be cast off because we've died with Christ and we've risen with him in our old ways. The old ways that we used to live in no longer fit who we are in him. Right? So we must put off the sins of the body. The sins of the body... Those things include sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and so on. And, and there's, there's a specific meaning for each of these. Paul is getting at a very specific meaning. Immorality, adulterous relationships, intimacy with someone other than your spouse. Impurity means uh, intimacy outside the bounds of marriage, in essence. Passions are uncontrolled or uncontrollable uh, carnal appetites. And evil desires are unnatural, lustful thoughts. Put these things off. Throw them away. Kill them. Because you've died with Christ and been risen with him. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul connects these ideas of sin to the body. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. 
You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Live as the people that God has created you to be through his son, Jesus Christ. The Colossians understood this connection. They'd been influenced by the same Gnostic philosophy as the, Christian, or as the Corinthians. They, they understood, or they believed, I should say, um, that, that the physical body was evil. That the physical body was just, was just this sinful vessel that we, that we had on earth, and it didn't really matter. It was just something to be uh, gratified, not nurtured. Something from which they would be freed when they died. And as a result, they indulged their bodies as they pleased. They, they treated their bodies like a, a disposable cup. You could just throw it away when you're done. It doesn't really matter. Don't need to, you don't need to wash that solo cup because you're going to throw it away. You don't need to treat it well. You don't need to worry if it gets dropped on the floor and broken because you're just going to throw it away. That's how they treated their bodies. Colossians wondered why Paul was so concerned about it. And he was anticipating their confusion. Paul answers in verse 6, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now he's not suggesting that, that God's wrath is only uh, poured out against those specific sins that he mentions in this place. And he's not saying that forgiveness is impossible. On the contrary, he makes it very clear that that's not true. He's just saying that these things don't fit who you are. If Christ died for you, why live as if he didn't? If you're new, why live as if you're old? Don't do what doesn't fit. Because you are a new creation in Christ. They needed to dress differently. Because they were not destined for divine wrath. They were destined for God's glory. They were destined for something wonderful and, and beyond anything they could possibly, possibly imagine. Sure, they could squeeze back into their old ways of living, right? probably all tried to squeeze into old clothing at some point in time. They could do it, but the clothes it didn't feel right. It shouldn't feel right. I mean, imagine me trying to squeeze into my 30-year-old suit. I mean, maybe you don't want to imagine that. <laughs> you ever see Tommy Boy, fat guy in a, in a little suit, you know, the, the, the Chris Farley thing? Um, that, you know, you can't do it. I was, I was 110 pounds soaking wet when I was 20 years old. So, I'm not nearly that light now. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> uh, we, we all do these things at times, right? We all try to squeeze back into old ways of living. We all try to do things that, that we go, oh, well, I, you know, I used to do that. It's not going to hurt once, right? Maybe we eat too much, drink too much. We let anger erupt like a volcano, particularly in traffic. That seems to be the worst time for most people in this country is when you're sitting in traffic and somebody does something that you feel like they shouldn't have done, and then you get angry. You, 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 you burst out and you say something, you go, oh! And, and then your wife says, Darden! And No, maybe, maybe she probably doesn't call you Darden, but you know, mine does. And, and so it, it, those types of things happen. Gossip. Maybe we gossip. Maybe we speak ill of others. Maybe we, maybe we put our own comforts and our own desires and, 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 and the things that we want ahead of what others need and what others need from us. We're all tempted to do those types of things at times, right? When life gets stressful. We look to those old ways of living because we think they feel comfortable. Like Pavlov's dog going back to the, the food, even though there's a shot coming. It, 
it tastes so good. It's gonna be, there's going to be something there. It's going to help. But ultimately, it doesn't. The old ways that we lived in, they fail us. The feelings that they once gave us, they, they're not quite the same anymore because somewhere deep inside, we now know, we know that what we're doing doesn't fit who we are and it feels uncomfortable and weird. We know we have to do something different. Such was the Colossians' plight. Their old ways were tempting them to, to go into and do different things, things that they knew they shouldn't do, tempting them to, to, to ignore their calling as Christians, to ignore who they are as a new creation in Christ, drawing them away from God's plan for their life. But Paul reminds them to put those things away. He reminds us to put those things away, not to earn God's forgiveness. Put them away because we have God's forgiveness. Put them away because Christ has already died and made you new. Put them away because you have a new life in him. The Christian accepts their need for God's forgiveness, for Christ's forgiveness, and trusts that Christ has sacrificed what he has sacrificed, his own life for them. We recognize that his life has achieved that, that his sacrifice achieved that on our behalf. We become spiritual participants in that then. When we realize, when we, when we recognize, when we internalize that, that of all that Christ has done, we, we suddenly become participants in his death and in his resurrection. His sacrifice then is credited to our lives and his, his payment is applied to our debt. Let me give you an example of that. Um, when we were in San Antonio, uh, you know, I was a pastor in San Antonio for a while. When we were in San Antonio, I drove a 19... 98 Chevy Malibu. It wasn't, it wasn't a fancy car. It was used, you know, it had a lot of miles on it, but it, it was nice for us. We'd never really bought new cars or anything, and, and so it just was, it was nice. It was a nice car. But as happens when cars get up there in age, coveting is one of those things that causes us to, to sort of put our own needs, our own desires, our own wants ahead of, of those around us and say, we don't care. It's not about them, it's about me. It's about what I want. It consumes us, and that's all we can think about. It's like when a doctor tells you that they've done some tests, they see something that concerns them, and suddenly they, they want to do more tests. What do you do at that moment? What happens in our minds? Maybe, maybe this isn't true for any of you, but for me, honestly, I would be consumed with worry. I would be 24 hours a day thinking about all the what-ifs. Thinking about the worst-case scenario, because I'm kind of a worst-case scenario guy. What's, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to my spouse? What, what's going to happen? And you do that. You're consumed with those thoughts until suddenly the doctor says, oh, we did some other tests. You're good. And you go, that's, that's what coveting is like. It consumes you. It's the only thing you begin to think about. We all have something we covet, right? Things we obsess about. Things we think that we need to attain. Things we think that we need. And maybe, maybe we even feel angry towards the person that, that has it. The person that, or, or maybe the person that keeps it from us. And that leads to the sins of the heart. 
It eats at our heart. Because Christ has died and risen, or because we've died and risen with Christ, we have to put off those sins as well. Not just the sins of the body, not just the overt sins, but the sins that happen inside here that maybe nobody else in the room knows are happening. Maybe we hide them really, really well, but the fact is is that we're not hiding them from our God that created us, and and we're not hiding them really from ourselves. We can feel what it's doing to our hearts. Verse 8, Paul commands the Colossians to put away such sins, including anger, wrath, and malice. Like coveting, those sins are predominantly heart issues, right? And oftentimes, they all grow out of the covetousness of our hearts. After all, when we want something we can't have, when we, when we think that we need it and someone else has it, that, that causes us to be angry, that causes us to have malice, that causes us to, be, to have all sorts of feelings towards that person in our heart. It's potentially the surest sign of coveting is how we feel towards other people. Do we covet what they want, what they have? Do we want what they have? It's important to recognize that anger in and of itself is not a problem, right? There are times when anger is just, when anger is a good thing. Paul explains to the Ephesians, he says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, so what we know here is there's times when sin or when, when anger is, is a righteous thing, when anger can be a good thing, when we're, when we're angry for the right reasons and in the right way. But unrighteous anger, unwillingness to forgive is a problem. Being frustrated when someone else has what we want. Irritated when we don't get the credit that we deserved. Angry with someone but not talking to them about it. Yeah, that's included in it, right? I'm angry with that person, but I'm just going to fume about it. I'm, just, I'm not going to actually be direct. I'm not going to go to them and say, hey, can we work through this? That's a problem because it stays in your heart. Unwilling to forgive people who ask for our forgiveness. There are righteous reasons to be angry, but those are not the, the righteous reasons. As Paul said to the Ephesians, Christians must put those things away. You must put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. It's no, it's no coincidence that the, the clamor, uh, complaining is what he means by complaining, and slander are included in there because those things are, are things that start here. They start in the heart. They start with how we feel about those around us. Unrighteous anger makes us do and say things that we shouldn't do, and they lead to the final sin that Paul tells us to put off, which is the sins of the mouth. Put away sins of the tongue. Put those things to death because we've died and risen with Christ. Verses 8 and 9, Paul references slander, obscene language, and lying. Slander meaning an an attempt to belittle or damage someone's reputation. The idea of slander is, is literally verbal murder. You're murdering their character. You're belittling them, berating them, and putting them down. Obscene language doesn't, it's, it's not exactly what we think of as obscene or foul language in this day. It's, it's more abusive and demeaning. Language directed at another person. Language, when you're, when you're lashing out at someone, again, driving is a prime example <laughs> of when, when you might say things that you shouldn't say uh, to another person or about another person, right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. That's the offensive language, uh, lying and deceit. Those things are self-explanatory. The Bible has much to say about the sins of the tongue, right? 
We've all heard all the passages and seen the passages and read the passages, maybe even memorized some of the passages that talk about the sins of the tongue. There's many in the power of the tongue. Passages like Proverbs 12, 18, 15, 28, 18, 21, they tell us things like, the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the tongue can be used for good, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The things that we say, they're powerful, they have meaning. They cause hurts. It's for this reason Jesus warned that it's not what goes into our mouths that defiles a person, but what comes out of our mouth. And what comes out of our mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's likely that Paul had those very words in mind. It's likely that Paul had what Christ had taught in mind when he said this. So much focus given to the tongue because the tongue has so much power. Not just over us, but over others around us. James compares it to a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship. Though it's small, it has power over the body. With it, we bless our God and with it, we curse people made in his image. That's a hard passage. With it, we bless our God and with it, we curse people who are made in his image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My friends, this should not be so. This is not the new people that Christ has made us into. Slander, abusiveness, lying, gossip, hypocrisy, etc. They simply don't fit us. They don't fit who we are anymore. Who who remembers the groups Duran Duran and Flock of Seagulls and The Cure and all those groups? All right, good. So there's a few more here. All right, good. Imagine me today standing in front of you dressed like that. I hope you'd... Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't have a hard time listening to me, but but just the hair would be, you know, just the big hair and everything. You'd you'd be looking at me going, what's with the crazy get-up? You go, why is Darden dressed so strangely? It doesn't fit who he is anymore. And, and so it is with these things that, that Paul's warning about in, these pas- in this passage. They simply don't fit us anymore. It, they look weird on us. They feel weird on us. They should feel weird in our hearts when we, when we say things that we shouldn't, when we think things that we shouldn't, when we do things that we shouldn't, things that we know Christ has called us to put off. When we do those things, it should feel weird to us. It should make us feel guilty because we're not those people anymore we're not the people who did those things because the fact is we put off the old self and we put on the new with christ it's a fundamental part of being a follower of jesus we become more and more like him over time we we put off the sins of the body we put off the sins of the heart we put off the sins of the tongue we put those things away we put them behind us and say they are no longer who i am I'm going to live as Christ calls me to live because we've died and risen with him. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you for sending your son to save us from our sins, to save us from what we didn't even know had taken us away from you, Lord. Lord, thank you 
for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the new life that we have in you. Thank you that you've called us and made us into new people who are no longer slaves to sin, no longer forced into that image anymore, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live as those who indeed have been redeemed by your blood. Pray that you would help us to live as those who understand their forgiveness and recognize the grace that you've poured out on us, that we might pour out your grace and demonstrate it to others when we come into contact with them. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this place and each person here. I thank you for calling us to be your people, a new people with a new heart and a new life in you. I pray you'll continue to bless our service in Christ's name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.